This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Have you ever wondered where your family comes from? I know the answer to that. Of course you have. We all have. Well, you can discover more about your family and learn about your story by combining the Ancestry DNA test with billions of historical family records. This process is amazing. You see, Ancestry DNA gives you so much more than just the places you're from. Ancestry connects you to the places in the world where your story started, and they're able to do so by using precise geographic detail and clear-cut historical insights. You can even trace your ancestors' journeys over time, following how and why your family moved from place to place. In other words, you could find out things that you probably never thought you'd find out. And to amplify your results, you can start a free trial on Ancestry and build a tree so your ancestors become more than just a name. They go that deep. It's that detail-oriented. Ancestry's unique features and record collections can give you a more complete picture of people from your past. You know, like the events that shaped those people, how they made a living, how long they attended school. You would not believe the information that gets uncovered, and it's so easy to get started. All you have to do is go to Ancestry.com slash podcast, and you could save 20% off your Ancestry DNA kit. Once again, go to Ancestry.com slash podcast for 20% off your Ancestry DNA kit. Ancestry.com slash podcast. It's an amazing experience. Check that out. I really meant it, and it made me so f***ing hard. It made me so f***ing hard that I was able to withstand that. I'm like, man, if that happens to me today, I know it's in me, so I could probably do it, but it, it, it allowed me to just suffer and suffer almost proudly because I knew you're not going anywhere so you might as well suck it up tape it up and keep on going forward oh hell yes podcast episode 100 triple digits the century mark now, we launched this thing back in August of 2017, and a little over two years later, we are officially 100 episodes deep. And I would be lying if I said that I was not proud of that fact, because I am. And I'm already looking forward to the next 100. Quick shout out off the top to those of you listening right now who have crushed every single drop with me, those people who have been ride or die with the pod since episode one. I see you, I see your tweets and emails and your reviews, I hear the voicemails, and I want to thank you for that sincerely. Thank you for 100 episodes of support. Now to this week's episode. Obviously, I want to bring in a prominent guest, and I want to bring back somebody that you all wanted to hear from once again. That person is David Goggins. You go back to February of 2018, episode 25, he made his first appearance on the pod. And for about a year and a half now, he has been on the short list for everybody's favorite episode. Whether you've heard of him before or this is your first time, you want to make sure you buckle the hell up. Because the former Navy SEAL turned author and certified savage is a soul snatcher. And if you don't know what that means, you're about to find out. 
Now, I can sit here all day long and run down his resume, but better that you hear it play out in the conversation itself. Now, a couple of quick things before I roll tape. The first thing is the episode is extremely profane. So if you do not like four-letter bombs, this particular episode may not be for you. Goggins' message is extremely powerful, but so is his language. You need to know that coming in. You've been warned. The second thing is we taped this episode a few weeks back. Goggins is a moving target. He's extremely busy. He was in the middle of training for the Moab 240, which is an ultra marathon in Utah spanning 240 miles. Now, if you follow him on social media, you probably know that he encountered some challenges. Have you ever wondered where your family comes from? I know the answer to that. Of course you have. We all have. Well, you can discover more about your family and learn about your story by combining the Ancestry DNA test with billions of historical family records. This process is amazing. You see, Ancestry DNA gives you so much more than just the places you're from. Ancestry connects you to the places in the world where your story started, and they're able to do so by using precise geographic detail and clear-cut historical insights. You can even trace your ancestors' journeys over time, following how and why your family moved from place to place. In other words, you could find out things that you probably never thought you'd find out. And to amplify your results, you can start a free trial on Ancestry and build a tree so your ancestors become more than just a name. They go that deep. It's that detail-oriented. Ancestry's unique features and record collections can give you a more complete picture of people from your past. You know, like the events that shaped those people, how they made a living, how long they attended school. You would not believe the information that gets uncovered, and it's so easy to get started. All you have to do is go to Ancestry.com podcast, and you could save 20% off your Ancestry DNA kit. Once again, go to Ancestry.com slash podcast for 20% off your Ancestry DNA kit. Ancestry.com slash podcast. It's an amazing experience. Check that out. I really meant it, and it made me so f***ing hard. It made me so f***ing hard that I was able to withstand that. I'm like, man, if that happens to me today, I, I know it's in me, so I could probably do it, but it, it, it allowed me to just suffer and suffer almost proudly because I knew motherfuckers, you're not going anywhere so you might as well suck it the up tape it up and keep on going forward oh hell yes podcast episode 100 triple digits the century mark now, we launched this thing back in August of 2017, and a little over two years later, we are officially 100 episodes deep. And I would be lying if I said that I was not proud of that fact, because I am. And I'm already looking forward to the next 100. Quick shout out off the top to those of you listening right now who have crushed every single drop with me, those people who have been ride or die with the pod since episode one. I see you, I see your tweets and emails and your reviews, I hear the voicemails, and I want to thank you for that sincerely. Thank you for 100 episodes of support. Now to this week's episode. Obviously, I wanted to bring in a prominent guest, and I want to bring back somebody that you all wanted to hear from once again. That person is David Goggins. You go back to February of 2018, episode 25, he made his first appearance on the pod. 
And for about a year and a half now, he has been on the short list for everybody's favorite episode. Whether you've heard of him before or this is your first time, you want to make sure you buckle the hell up. Because the former Navy SEAL turned author and certified savage is a soul snatcher. And if you don't know what that means, you're about to find out. Now, I can sit here all day long and run down his resume, but better that you hear it play out in the conversation itself. Now, a couple of quick things before I roll tape. The first thing is the episode is extremely profane. So if you do not like four-letter bombs, this particular episode may not be for you. Goggins' message is extremely powerful, but so is his language. You need to know that coming in. You've been warned. The second thing is we taped this episode a few weeks back. Goggins is a moving target. He's extremely busy. He was in the middle of training for the Moab 240, which is an ultra marathon in Utah spanning 240 miles. Now, if you follow him on social media, you probably know that he encountered some challenges in that race after accidentally veering 15 miles off course. Unfortunately, I could not discuss those challenges with him regarding that race, but if I get him back at some point, is our first three-time guest, you know that will be a top priority, and I will hit on that. So if you're wondering why we're not talking about that, that's why. All right then, enough of me. Let's get to episode 100 with a guy who was arguably pound for pound, the toughest man on the planet, the one and only David Goggins. This is episode 100. Now, David, since you and I last spoke, your book, Can't Hurt Me, Master Your Mind and Defy the Odds, has dropped. It's done tremendously well. I've read the book, David, multiple times. It's an amazing read. It's a really, really powerful book. You get into some really personal, really, really heavy stuff. What was it like for you to write that book and then to push it out and have the entire world know your story? <laughs> it was hard, man. It, uh, it actually sucks for me because, you know, I had this title that I didn't give myself of like this hard guy, this, you know, world's toughest guy or world's toughest man bullshit. So, um, you know, when you are known as that and then you go deep into the uh, sewer to uh, reveal your true self, and what you had to overcome, um, you start to you start to think about, you know, how are people going to think about me? How am I going to be viewed now? Um, you know, telling people that you, uh, you know, peed in the bed for daggone so many years because you were afraid of your father and all these different things, man. That's not something that um, you want to share with the, you know, with, with the public. So, you know, it was, uh, it was a difficult, it was, it was very difficult. I mean, it still is hard. It still is hard to know that my whole life is out there for people to know. And um, so, yeah, it's something I have to overcome every day. All right, so there's so much in the answer that we could get into, but let me just start right here also, because you lay this out in the book. There's David Goggins, and then there's just Goggins. So who's Goggins, and who is David Goggins? So David Goggins, if you read the book, is um, David Goggins is the, the kid that was abused, that was beat, that um, had to overcome being called nigger, had overcome himself, had overcome learning disabilities, stuttering, his mom not being around, you know, and even talks about not, not being loved. You know, I was, in my family, you know, we didn't show that kind of affection. We still don't. So all these things um, formed a very um, insecure, judgmental, what was me type of kid. And that kid was very soft. And so going through my life, I realized, man, David Goggins is kind of a punk. 
life kind of made David Goggins a punk, and that was a reality that I didn't want to come to terms with, didn't want to come to grips with, and it bothered me, especially being a man. You know, like, you know, you always want to be a tough guy, you know. So I came to grips with that, and I realized I have to make another human being. I have to start to formulate another human being. And what happened was I, I started to invent Goggins. Kind of like inventing Frankenstein or where the fuck that thing was. Right. I, I started inventing Goggins. And kind of like in, in the same manner is I, I went, you know, I went to the lab. And the lab was basically, you know, everything in my life that I was afraid of, um, that I hid from, I started to just straight up attack it in, with an aggressive type of mindset. And through that, I started forming this new, this new man, which was Goggins. Now, David, you mentioned your family. You mentioned your mother but not your father. Now, in the book also, you talk about how your father was the devil. Like, how much of who you are right now is a direct result of who your father was to you when you were growing up? Probably, I mean, an awful lot. An awful lot. You know, so when your dad is, is calling you, you know, when, when, when you leave me, you know, talking to my mom, he says, your sons are going to be, you know, gay and caught faggots and I mean this he had he had a way with his tongue that was just venom and his tongue was worse than his belt so he had a way of getting in your head and especially when you're a young kid and you're already broken it doesn't take much to put you over the edge so some of these things just haunted me and he was actually not as far as the gay part but as far as like you know, me being a soft kid, not having a father, not having a father figure, um, a lot of things he was saying was actually coming true. I was just becoming a very soft kid that that would turn away from hard times. So when I finally started to get my head on my ass, I truly realized that a lot of who I am was because of all the negativity that he was talking. So that negative self-talk, or so, so that negativity that he was talking became my negative self-talk. Whenever things would, would, would get difficult in my life, I would just fall right back on, well, you know what, man? I wasn't supposed to mount to anything anyway. You know, like, I don't have a dad. My mom's not around. And, and, and it's, it just kept on going in this vicious cycle. So he was a, he, he was a big part of me, me being a loser, not me becoming a, you know, like the man I am today. There's that, David. I want to be very clear about something else, though. I mean, as, as vicious as he was verbally, and in addition to the number that he really did on you psychologically, he beat you severely and your mother and your brother to the point one night where he knocked your mother unconscious. He dragged her down the stairs, and while you were terrified of him, at that point you had had enough. What did you do in that moment? So in that moment right there, man, I decided to, I had to man up. And um, I always had these voices in my head. One was like, you know, go cower. And the other one was, hey, you know, you have to, uh, you have to protect. And so I had the, the courage that day to protect. And it was, uh, it was one of the best things I ever did because it kind of uh, gave me some courage a little bit. But the thing about it was I got the, the living shit beat out of me. So... 
Um, the the deeper story to that, which I kind of cover a little bit in the book, sporadically in the book, was what caused that incident was I basically had a severe earache. And my dad didn't have any health coverage on, on any of the kids or my mom. And so my ears were bleeding. And my mom said, I have to take David to the hospital. So my dad was like, you can't take him. My mom broke the rules. Took me to the hospital. He went. So my brother stayed home with him. My dad went to, you know, the cabinet where he kept his scotch. And he was an alcoholic, severe alcoholic. He went, got the scotch. As we left to go to the hospital, my my brother was at home with my father. And they sat down at the kitchen table. And my dad said, when they get home, you're going to see a real man. So when we get home, that's when that story happened. So, you know, basically I got a whipping. And then my mom got beat. I jumped on him, got another whipping. And the next morning, what my mom saw on the bed, which was my body, was just was just hamburger, black and blue, jacked up. And then, you know, a few days later, she decided to leave. You know, it's when I read that for the first time, it was very, very difficult to read and to see. And I, as I hear that back right now, it's just as difficult to hear. And then she summons the courage and she leaves and she says to you and your brother, either you can come with me or not, but I'm leaving. You decide to go with her and then you move to Brazil, Indiana. At that point, what was that like for you to live there and grow up there, at least at that period of your life? You know what? As a young kid, I was so, I was so fucked up that, um, I didn't even notice the difference between the black and white. And when you're real, like, like real young, you know, eight, nine, ten, the the kids. I went to a, a, a Catholic school. The kids were good to me there. Um, there was no singled out of I, you know. I was only a black kid in the whole damn school in this little uh, Catholic school. So it was it was okay there. Um, there was like only black about five black families in Brazil at that time, and I didn't have any problems then. But what happened was, as you get older, I moved from Brazil, Indiana, to Indianapolis, Indiana. And now I'm in high school. So fast forward, when I came back, I'm now about 16 years old. I'm in high school. And all these kids now, it's very different. Now I am. Now the color is a very obvious thing. They are older and meaner. And um, so that's when it became very difficult for me because, a lot of kids, not all of them, call me nigger. A lot. I got spray paint, nigger, we're going to kill you on my car. And what's funny about that shit, man? It pisses me the fuck off real bad because a lot of people in that town didn't want to be in the book and wanted to deny this shit and act like the shit never happened. That's why I put pictures in there about the KKK and, you know, right 15 minutes from my house. You know, so in the book, those pictures in there, because... A lot of people didn't want to portray Brazil as bad. I'm not saying everybody in Brazil is bad. But what pissed me off is they tried to say, oh, this shit never happened to me. Hmm. But, but thank God my, my principal, Kurt Freeman, who is quoted in the book, we actually interviewed him for the book, he actually says, yes, I remember all that stuff that happened to you in high school because I was always talking to him about the stuff that happened, showing him proof, he saw the proof. But, you know, it's just funny how... You know, you grow up in that racist-ass town. Not everybody was racist once again, uh, but there were several people. And they just don't want to own up to it now. And they want to make you think that you didn't grow up in that shit because they don't want to be exposed. So 
I, you know, when I was writing the book, I'm actually talking pissed off about because I actually walked on eggshells while I was writing the book. Like, man, you know, I don't want to put this town down, and so many people are saying it didn't happen, and I'm like, you know what, man, this is unbelievable. So actually, what, what's coming out of me right now is like, it's, it's actually angry at myself that once again I'm sitting back here thinking I shouldn't have put all this in the book, but thank God a couple people were there to validate the shit that happened to me growing up because why very few are willing to even talk about it. No, you know, I... when, you know when, when, when you go to school with like five black kids and there's like 2000 kids in school and the KKK marches in your fourth July parade, 1995. And they're going to tell me that no one ever did shit to me. It's just, you know, anyway, it's just, it's just funny, but yeah, that's kind of how that shit went. And, um, yeah, that was it. David, 1995, not 1945, yeah. 1995. No. 95. Look it up. Google it. Google Brazil. Google the stats. Google all that shit. And I, and I never wanted to be this kind of venomous towards it, but it's the fact that so many people didn't want to fucking come on. When I was writing my book, I wanted everything to be validated. I didn't want to put anything in the book that someone else could say, yeah, I saw that. And the only person that rogered up was the fucking principal of the high school that I went to that saw the car, that saw the notebooks that, you know, that they put nigga, we're going to kill you on. The kids didn't want to say shit. Man, for the kids now say, oh, David had a great time here. You know, so it's like motherfuckers didn't know me. So basically, yeah, 1995, that happened. And, um, yeah, it's just what makes me angry now is that racism, it, it exists. At least call the fucking shit out. You know, don't, don't, don't sit back acting like, this shit never fucking happened to somebody when I endured it, went through it, had a fucked up life, and I could tell me, oh, oh you were loved here. Yeah, <laughs> by a few fucking people and had some good teachers, but for the most part, the fucking kids sucked. Now, David, so what you're looking for here is some responsibility, and more than that, right. you're looking for accountability. Now, right. in looking for really? accountability, you came up with something that you call the accountability mirror. What is that? And what did you see the first time you looked into your accountability mirror? So, like I was talking about, some of the people in Brazil called me nigger. I had to go back to myself and say, okay, David, I used to lie my fucking ass off. Why? Because I had no one in my mind that liked me. I was an insecure kid that had, could barely read, could barely write. So I made up a lot of shit. I wanted people to like me. I was a kid that basically, because I got called nigger so much and I felt so different in that damn school of mine, I became a character. I became a clown. So with these different haircuts, these different styles of dressing and acting, I thought maybe if I look different, not color-wise, but just how I dress and how I act, I can kind of fit in better by being a fucking clown. I was lazy. I didn't want to go to school for several reasons. Uh, one was because I wasn't real smart. One was because I was really lazy. One was because I was one of the only fucking black kids in school. There were so many reasons that I was hiding behind, but no one knew that about me. Because why? I wore a different face every day in school that covered up the real me. So I had to go over to myself, and even though a lot of people fucked me up, my, my parents, life, people calling me nigger, whatever it may be, what I had to do in that accountability mirror was I had to own the fact that no one's coming back to help me out. 
I had to own everything that everybody did to me, and I also had to own the fact that I helped cause a lot of this shit myself. So what I did was I took ownership of it all. That's all right, man. Let's get the fucking work. So, like I said, I couldn't really spell that well, so I, was, I put these sticky notes all over this mirror about things I need to change. And the accountability mirror became a very raw, real conversation with myself that was just, I had to change. And no one's come back to say. If you've ever had to hire somebody, you know how tough that can be. It can be a really challenging and slow process. Take Cafe Altura's COO, Dylan Miskowitz. Now, he needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but was running into a lot of the same problems that a lot of you have in trying to find applicants. So he switched on over to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter does not depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It takes so much of the pressure off. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and then actively invites them to apply for your job. This way you get qualified candidates and you get them quickly. Like Dylan, he posted his job on ZipRecruiter. He said he was impressed with how quickly he had great candidates apply. And he used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. And that's how he found his new director of coffee in only a few days. With results like that, it is no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the very first day. Find out for yourself why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash clones. Again, try it for free, ZipRecruiter.com slash C-L-O-N-E-S, ZipRecruiter.com slash clones, ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. You do an amazing job of telling your story and laying your life out in the book. You have to read the book. There's no You and I could talk for five hours and not cover this adequately, so I'm just going to jump around a little bit because there is no way to tell your entire story here, but in the mid-90s, you went from 175 pounds to 290 pounds, and at that point, you were out of the military at that point. So what were you doing for work, and what was going on in your life at that point that you put on that kind of weight? So I was 175 when I first joined the military in 1994, and 175, I was trying to be a pararescue man, which is a para-jumping medic from the best medics on the earth, and um, so it didn't work out for me. Long story short, um, I lied about that shit, too. I was basically, I got about six weeks, six, seven weeks into training, and I realized I was afraid, so afraid. I didn't realize it, I knew it. So afraid of the water. But I stayed in the program. I stayed in the program. I stayed in the program. But then I got a way out. And the old David Goggins, you give me a way out, man. I'm taking the shit. So it comes back. I have sickle cell. I had some blood work done. Sickle cell was it. I have sickle cell trait, not the anemia. So basically, they, they gave me a week or so out of training. And I'm thinking, well, shit, man. You know, I don't want to go back in the water again. And I'm watching these guys in the pool. I'm on the pool deck, not getting wet, not, not drowning to death. And I'm thinking, shit, man, maybe they'll kick me out of the whole damn military. That would be awesome. So, you know, after that happens, a, a week or so goes by, I go back to the doctor, and they let me back in training. And I go back to the commanding officer in charge of the pararescue program. He goes, yeah, that's great you're back in training, but you got to start from day one. And when he said that, man, I sat back and said, well, I don't want to tell this tough guy that I basically want to quit. I said, I won't go back in the fucking water. Let alone start from day one. So I said, hey, man, um, the doc was telling me some very disturbing things about sickle cell. 
One was, uh, you know, sudden death, heart attack, all these things, man. I'm like, this is, anyway, I didn't give a fuck about sickle cell. I care about the water. So long story short, man, I gave him some bullshit excuse. He bit off on it. And on my official record from Pararescue, it has, I left on a medical. No, the truth is I left because I fucking quit. I was scared of the water and I was afraid. So I left. And I went from 175, I actually stayed in the military. I went to a different job, but. During this time frame, it was about a three-year time frame, I went from 175 to 297. And um, I got in the military, and I started spraying for cockroaches at, at a company called Ecolab, making $1,000 a month. And that was my life. So you're gaining all that weight, but, like, when you'd work overnight, you'd go to these restaurants, you'd spray for cockroaches, you'd get in the car, you'd drive home. Like, what did you eat on that commute home? <laughs> what were those drives like, David? Yeah, they were, they were pretty miserable, man. So, you know, when you've quit everything in your life and you continue starting back from scratch every day of your life, those drives are a, uh, they are a complete reminder of the piece of shit you are and how you feel about yourself. And you have nothing so basically, I would spray down Steak and Shake for my last stop. Steak and Shake had a humongous milkshake at the time. And I kind of made it humongous. I get the biggest cup they had. And I knew the manager real well. And he filled me up with a nice, large chocolate milkshake. And I'd go across the street to 7-Eleven, buy a box of mini chocolate donuts, and um, pop those like Tic Tacs for my 45-minute commute home. But this is the thing that, you know, I don't think I even told you in our first conversation. I would have that, so about 7 o'clock in the morning to 7.45 in the morning during that commute, I would drink that shake and eat that whole mini box of chocolate donuts from Hostess. Then when I get home, I lived in Carmel, Indiana, which was about three, four miles from where my mom lived, Annapolis, Indiana. Most days, not every day, but most days, she would fix me breakfast because she was leaving for work, whatever she was doing. Uh, my breakfast was this, eight um, Pillsbury um, cinnamon muffins or, or, or cinnamon rolls, followed by six to eight scrambled eggs hard, half a pound of bacon, um, followed by um, either fruity pebbles or fruit loops, whatever the fruity you know, cereal was for the day. And then I would go home, go to bed, um, sleep, get up, you know, whatever, and then I would attack work again at 11 o'clock at night to 7 o'clock in the morning. And that's kind of how my day went. The staple. The staple. Mom's had you hooked up staple. with the staple. But, but, one day was different. One day you came home. I mean, you turn on the TV for some background noise. But then one day you heard something that kind of piqued your interest. What was on that day? So, before I go to my mom's house, I would actually turn the TV on um, after going home from my commute. And I would, you know, have the shower running. I'd go to the shower take a shower but i would listen to the tv it was like a couple of rooms away but i blast the tv and i'd listen to it and so as the water's coming down over my ears i'm hearing kind of like world's toughest training or whatever the hell it was something like that happening it kind of caught my interest so i come out of the shower real quick i sit down and start watching the show and i forget what channel is on it's history something discovery something like that and i'm watching tv and i'm watching all these guys going through Navy SEAL training. And I hated the water, let alone the ocean. I've never been in the ocean in my entire life. And all I'm seeing right now is, like, these guys coming out of the ocean, and they're freezing. And it's dark, and they're going through Hell Week, 
And I'm just sitting there thinking, my God, man. And, and nothing really hit me. And I'm like, you know what, man, this is, this is crazy. But what happens is, is, like, there's been two times in my life, one was during Rocky 1, round 14 of Rocky 1, where that two minutes and 13 seconds kind of, like, got me off my ass for a second. And then this one right here, I watched this whole show. At the very end of the show, I'm sitting there thinking, man, fuck that. I would never want to be a Navy SEAL. So what happens, um, this command officer comes on TV, and this is the next two minutes that, that changed my life. He comes on TV, and he's, and he's giving this graduation speech. And what he says is something like, it's not exactly like this, but these are the words I remember. We live in a society where, where mediocrity is often rewarded. He says something like, these men who are graduating, they detest mediocrity. And when he said those things, he was talking directly to me. And I wasn't even fucking mediocre. I, you know, I was just a guy, just, you know, hopefully I can survive life and maybe make it to heaven, you know, whatever. I'm just, I'm just going to skate by and hopefully make it to heaven and hopefully live in this big lie that I've created. And so um, it, it spoke directly to me, and it haunted me, haunted me for several, several days, several weeks. And I was being haunted anyway. For 24 years, I'm 24 years old now, and after a while, man, I started making these calls. I said, I got I to do something about this. I said, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And obviously, we could be here for a long time talking about it, but um, I finally found a recruiter. His name was Steven Saljo. He actually said, um, hey, come on in. He was one of the few recruiters, one of the only recruiters that even said, I'm going to try to help you out. All the rest of them like, hey, you go to hell pretty much. You're too fat and you're, you know, whatever. So I, I had very little time to lose a lot of weight, 106 pounds in less than three months to be exact. I um, lost the weight and went to Navy still training. Uh, let's not gloss over this fact right here, all right? You had three months to lose 106 pounds. I mean, it's, it's utterly insane what Almost made impossible. you, yeah. David, what made you think at that point, all right, now I understand why you would attack anything, but at that point in your life, what made you think that you could do that, and why would you even try? You know what? I didn't think I could. I didn't think I could do it, to be honest with you. Um, but I knew that in me trying to do this, I would at least find what victory felt like. And for me at that time, this is when I go back to the whole Rocky thing, um, how, how Rocky says in, 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 in Rocky 1 about, I just want to go to distance. And for me, I just wanted to go to distance. The distance wasn't getting the Navy SEAL trained. The distance wasn't being a Navy SEAL. The distance was finally facing myself. I just had to go to war with myself in some capacity. And I did that. And what happened was through this, a series of small, very, very, very small accomplishments, very small accomplishments, I was able to get some confidence, something I lacked a lot of. I talked a lot of shit growing up. That doesn't mean you have confidence. It means talk a lot of shit. So I um, started feeling real confident about myself. Like, man, like, my, my God, I'm actually putting forth effort. I'm actually suffering. I'm actually... And through suffering, I found this great feeling of victory, of success, of accomplishment. 
And I started taking these very small nuggets of that feeling and saying, oh, let me, let me try to do more. Let me, let me try to do even more. And so it just kept on building from that. I'm like, man, then it became like, what if this fat, out of shape, dumb, everybody calls nigger, messed up family, lived in a seven-dog-month place for a lot of my childhood, you know, lied about this, couldn't read for that, couldn't spell this. What the fuck? What in the fuck? What if he makes it? What if he? And so now I'm sitting back like a month into this thinking, oh, my God. So I then start to visualize this amazing, beautiful picture. I'm not even near it. I'm like 75 pounds away, and, you know, I have to retake the ASVAB test for another twice, you know, like two more times. And I'm like, in ASVAB test, the test to get in the military, I took it three times before to get in the Air Force. I got to take it two more times to get in the Navy. So I'm studying my ass off. I'm, 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 I'm trying to lose weight. But I'm still thinking, man, if I can pull this off, my, I can change everything. So that, that kind of, even now at 44 years of age and I've gone through all this shit, it still makes me feel a certain way. And in the book, talking about the ASVAB test, I get down to a certain weight now, and I'm like, I, I, I now believe I'm going to actually lose this weight. But now I have to get a certain score. I was passing the ASVAB test, but to be a SEAL, you get a certain score, a, a, a pretty high score. So I couldn't get this special score in this special category. It's called mechanical comprehension. And I had to get a 50. And it's my last time I could take it. And basically, I leave the testing area. It was, it was, it was on a computer. And I wasn't good at computers. I, that, that scared the shit out of me. So I take the test and... I hit send. When you hit send, you're in this big testing area, and all these people who want to be in the military are taking this test. I walk away, and I'm getting ready to get in my car. And I'm like, man, you got to find out if you pass this fucking test. I can't wait three days to find out because the test results go back to your recruiter. And I'm sitting there, man, and I'm like, my God, man, how the fuck? So I walk back in, and I talk to the sergeant in charge of the test taking. I go, hey, man, I know this isn't allowed, man. I, I have nothing, man. I have fucking... I'm, I'm, I'm almost crying. David, can I like, interject? That that was your whole yeah, fucking life. That was your whole fucking yeah. life, that 50. Everything was on that fucking 50, man. Everything. And so many people don't understand. But uh, So I'm, I'm sitting there, and, I'm, and, I, and I'm, I'm down like 215 pounds, and I'm like, I can't fucking believe what I'm doing. And I'm, and I'm like... So I walk back in, the guy goes, I can't, I can't do it, man. Like, this is against regulation. So he goes through and he goes, yeah, you got a 65. Hmm. I'm like, no, no, I need to know what I got. So 65 was, was my total score, which is a decent score. I go, no, man, I need to know what I got on mechanical comprehension. So this guy's sliding through, and, and I can't look at the computer. He's not allowing me to. And he goes, hey, man, okay, MC, he goes, you got a 50. Hmm. I got the exact fucking score I need to get in. I went crazy. I went out to the car. I'm fucking crying. I'm, I'm driving my fucking car. I'm calling. My, it was just, it was just a moment for my life. I, I wasn't a seal. I, I had to lose fucking another twenty something pounds, and I'm sitting there thinking, man, it was the biggest day of my life, almost ever, even to this day, even even just talking about it, you know. So, anyway, I know I went crazy on it, man. It just, it, I, I. I go back to these places, man, when you feel like shit and no one's coming back to save you and you saved your fucking self. And 
I can relive this shit like it was tomorrow because it is tattooed in my fucking brain. It just it, it just sends me to a place of like of, of total joy and and just man, just, just just proud, just proud of myself, man. And I and I had done nothing yet, but I I done everything. Well, man, that's the cookie jar right there. That's a big fucking chocolate chip cookie right there. That fifty on mechanical comprehension, yes, right? Yes, sir. One out of four batteries is going to fail this winter, so it's going to happen to some of you. Get yours tested for free during Superstar Battery Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. If it needs to be replaced, O'Reilly has the Superstar Battery just for you. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Can you help me with just this one part of it? Like, What's amazing to me is that when you finally got that leverage, you're like, all right, I'm going to lose that weight, or I'm going to try to lose that weight. David, the point is, at that point, you were not really exhibiting any discipline whatsoever. It's one thing to decide. It's another like, oh, I'm going to go out for a run. And I know that first run was hell, but how did you throw that switch? I mean, you weren't a finished product by any sense, but you got to no. a place of nowhere to a place of losing over 100 pounds in three months. I've never understood this about you. How did you do that? That was not a process of 25 years. That literally, that was a decision that you executed and put into action almost overnight. How? You know what? I, like I said, I had two voices in my head. One always told me to go coward. The other one told me not to. Something always told me, something always told me, man, you got something special in you. But you are going to really suffer. You are going to really suffer. So the back part of that conversation was really suffer. I don't want to do that. I don't really want to do that. That's great that I have all this in me that something's telling me I'm a special human being, but I'm going to have to work that much harder than most people, I didn't want to do that. But what happens is when that voice gets, instead of going away from the voice, for some reason, I was going away from it. It got louder and louder and louder to the point where I couldn't sleep. I, I, I couldn't even lie like I used to, to create this other person that didn't really exist. Um, and I was like, my God, man, I have to face this shit. And so when I realized that, this is where I'm at now. I'm 297, and I have no one come back to get me. I literally just – it wasn't overnight, but it was kind of overnight. I flipped the switch. And when I flipped that switch, I said, I'm never going back. And what I said to myself is exactly what I said to myself. I'd rather be dead. I'd rather be dead than live in this mindset that I have. Than to have this afraid – afraid of – everything mindset i said i'd rather be fucking dead because i am dead which is why i came up with with the live autopsy everybody finds out you know how someone dies when they're dead guy comes in does it says hey they died of a heart attack um they they never do an autopsy on a person while they're alive and so i do it on myself i was alive i said you know what man i can't fucking i'm 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 dead right now being alive so i said i I'd rather be dead, really dead, than live like this. And, and that was my decision I made. And so when, when you're willing to die for something, man, what, what comes out of you, what, what comes on the other side of that is a very dangerous human being. And that's what happened, man. I was really 100% I'm going to die trying. 
And I don't think, and by the way, this is not a figure of speech, because when you look at the hell weeks that you went through, and you went through three, you got rolled back the first one, you had stress fractures, you had double pneumonia, you had a fractured kneecap. By the time you got to that third one, yeah, I mean, is it a figure of speech, or were you literally willing to die before you were willing to ring that bell? Honestly, people, I know right now, people who may hear this or whatever, they may say, this guy's full of shit. Say what you want, man. Say what you want. I 100% was going to die in that train. Matter of fact, a guy did die in my last hell week that I was in, a, a, a student of mine. I was willing to die. But what that made me, though, and this is crazy about that mindset, it made me more alive. It made me more aware. It made me more focused. It made me more of a leader. It made me harder. It, it, it literally, it wasn't like I'm just going to die trying it, it, it just wasn't that simple. I really meant it, and it made me so fucking hard. It made me so fucking hard that I was able to withstand shit that I'm like, man, if that happens to me today, I know it's in me, so I could probably do it. But it, it, it allowed me to just suffer and suffer almost proudly because I knew, motherfucker, you're not going anywhere. So you might as well suck it the fuck up, tape it up, and keep on going forward. And it it, it, it did something to me. It, it just made me, like I say, when I talk about things, go, my God, you get so crazy. Because I'm going back to the shit. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm literally going back to 3.30 in the fucking morning, putting duct tape on my damn, on my sock, going up, casting myself, because I have stress fractures. And it, it did it just did something. It's it's crazy, man. But yes, it is the truth. Honest to God, truth. Now, David, you you did not put this in the book, but I heard you say this recently during a podcast that as you started that journey to become a Navy SEAL, part of the start was going back to your father. You went back to see your father. Why did you do that, and what happened? So basically, yeah, I didn't put in the book, which I should have, uh, but I'm actually glad I didn't because it's in. I'm actually writing my book too right now. Um, so basically what happened was when I was 297, I, I kept on wanting, man, I taught myself how to read and write to get into the air force. I taught myself how to swim to get in the air force, but whenever things would get hard for me, for some reason, man, I just would go right back to like square one, which is square one for me is I'm that little kid who peed in the fucking bed, whose dad beat the shit out of him, who stuttered, who had no, none of the accomplishments were ever sticking. Nothing was ever sticking, man. It was like almost like it just come off the wall. So I said, man, what the fuck is wrong with me? So I said, okay, you know what? Sometimes, like, for instance, some runners, I run a lot. If your left knee hurts, it might be your right hip, but they focus on your left knee. For me, I focused on, like, okay, I can't read and write. Let me just focus on this. I'm, I'm, I'm insecure. Let me work on how I look. I, I, I went back to the origin of the story. I went back to the original spot. I, w- I went back to the, I went back to my father. It was a guy that, uh, you know, it happened by chance. I had to face him. And I could talk about this for hours also, but basically what I had to do is we never apologized to one another. Um, he never apologized to me. He was the ass that I knew. But what happened was I was able to put a title on my father. And what that title was, was, to, for him to fuck me up, my mom up, my brother up the way he did, um, there had to be something wrong with him, man. 
because we were good. We are good people. And my mom is damaged from it. My brother's damaged from it. I'm damaged from it. Why? Why did you beat us for no reason? So I was asking myself these questions why I was with this man. I didn't ask him, you know, because he went off. He was drunk. He went off on some stupor talking shit like he always does. And I just sat there and realized in my, I think I was 23 years old, 22. I forget what it was exactly. But I went back and I said to myself, okay, I got my answers. Something had to fuck this man up real bad to make him the way he is. And basically his insecurities and everything else that's wrong with him, he never faced them like I have to right now. I don't want to be like this. I have to face these right now to fix. I have to end this. And I did. And I ended it. So I forgave him. I never saw him again. He died about four or five, six years ago. I don't remember. I didn't go to the funeral. Not because I hate the man. I don't hate him. I don't hate him. I just, at that point, when I left at that age, I just had to get the negative energy out of my life and move forward. And that's what I did. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Now, David, it's amazing when you see where you are right now, and this is really fascinating to me because, I mean, you're about this life still yet, but... But while so many others are flooding social media, trying to create and establish their brands, you continue to pick your spots really carefully on social media. In fact, you only post once a week. I think I speak for a lot of people. We'd love to see more, but I've got a feeling there's a reason why you do that. In fact, my man, you hate social media, don't you? I do, man, because once again, I know how powerful the mind is. And I talk about in the book, the mind is the most powerful weapon. And that can work against you. If you go on that stuff too much, man, and see too much negativity or, or too much of I love me or whatever it may be, social media is the devil to me. It can really get your mind thinking about I'm not where I want to be. I'm not good enough. I'm not this enough. I'm not that enough. I don't have enough. But people are painting a picture. Most people are painting a picture of their great life at these certain times. It's not their life. So we see the best side of them. And I don't like to paint that side of me. I don't want you motherfuckers seeing the best side of me. I, yeah, I cuss a lot, get over it, people. Um, I don't want people seeing that side of me. I want people to, yeah, you all know who David Goggins is now, some of you. I'm going to show you who I, where I start off from. I'm going to paint this nasty, ugly picture of who I am and the problems I still go through and the problems we all go through. And social media does not do that very well. Social media says, Look at me. Look at my new car. Look at my new hair. Look at my new this. Look at my new that. And it makes people feel like shit. And so that's why I'm, I'm not about that stuff, man. I'm about empowering people, um, not in the soft way of, you know, all this love, peace, and happiness. No, man. I'm about go to war with yourself. Figure yourself out. Stop, stop feeling sorry for yourself because basically we all, we all look for this magical pill. And this miracle and this secret 
We're looking for this secret. Ain't no, ain't, ain't, ain't no fucking secret, man. There is none. There is none. The secret is get your ass up, put them on, whether it be your running shoes, your workout gear, get your mind right, look in the mirror, feel better about yourself, get some confidence, and start knocking out whatever is in front of you. And, and that's, what was, that's what I preach. I preach hardness, toughness, that you are better than whatever is in front of you. To finish that thought, and then I want to ask you about your second book before you go. And again, everybody needs to read the book. We covered a lot of amazing ground today like we did the first time we got together. But there is so much more, so much more that I could talk to you about. And although this is on point and on message, if there are people listening right now, it, what's the message that you could share that applies to literally every last one of us, regardless of how athletic we are, how old we are, what kind of shape we're in, what walk of life we're in? They're not happy with themselves. They're not happy with their lives. They want something more. What is the one thing? Is there one thing that you could tell that applies to all of us? Yep. You're not going to find that shit in your pocketbook. You're not going to find it with making money. You're not. I'm telling you right now, yes, money's important, and we all love it. We all need it. It is so important. You can be very successful in life, very successful, happy wife, happy kids, happy life, make millions and millions of dollars. But you walk around thinking, damn, something's missing. Something's missing. And everybody goes, man, you got everything. What I realized in life, man, is that, you have to feel, you have to start to fill these certain holes in your life. These holes, yeah, like I said, all those things are important. Happy life, happy wife, happy husband, whatever you got going through. But you have to figure out yourself. What is it that you have to go through a journey? You have to figure out what this is all about. You, what are you all about? I'm telling you right now, before you start down that journey of all this money making and stuff like that, what filled my heart, trust me, what filled my heart is I built confidence. I built self-esteem. I'm able to stand into a, in front of millions of people, thousands of people, speak in front of them and be confident and not care what they think. When you get to a point in your life where you 100% not care what other people think about you, you have arrived, and that is it. You cannot care what anybody thinks of you. And how I did it was simply by working my ass off and being proud of the man that's in that damn mirror. And that's what I tell everybody. Be proud of who you are. Do not follow the leader. Learn to stand alone. Learn to stand for what you believe in. And that's hard to do nowadays because guess what? You might just have to stand alone to do it. So that's, so that's my best advice I can give to people, man, is learn what you stand for, what you believe in, be loyal to yourself and be loyal to those few people who trust in you. But that takes, it's easier said than done. It takes a lot of backbone. Not only that, David, but aside from everything physically that you've accomplished, let's not forget when you say I get up in front of millions of people right now and I'm confident and I'm proud, this is somebody who had several learning disabilities, somebody who read at a fourth grade level in 11th grade, somebody who stuttered. So you overcame so much more as well. I'm really, really happy to hear you say that you're working on the second book. Without giving it up completely, can you give me a sense? What's that book about? How's that process going? So that process is truly amazing. And with, I won't give you too much, but I will tell you this. So 
that first book. So I wanted my second book that I'm doing right now to be my first book, but no one knew about David Goggins. So I had to get that first book out first. So everybody knows, okay, this is where I started from, and this is where I'm at now. Now I have all these different tools that I've never talked about. You know, I talk about the cookie jar, I talk about taking souls, callous your mind, one second decision, 40, you know, you know, 40%, you know, 40% rule. rule. Yep. I talk about all those things in the first book. Those are all the basic small cookies, man. The things that I that that really put me over the fucking top. I couldn't talk about in the first. I had five hundred thousand words for the first book, and the first book has a hundred thousand words in it. So I got four hundred thousand words I couldn't put in there. I'm like, let the people know about me, give them some takeaways. But the second book is the one I'm really excited about because this is right here is the making, is the making of it all. This is what really transforms that person to that next level. And it's not this bullshit that you see, like, you know, like these little fucking little, like, five this, five seconds. It, it, no, it, 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 it's so much more than that. It is principles. It's hardcore building blocks on the mind that, I, I'm just excited. Man. I, I can go deep into it for days. But it's just hardcore building blocks on how to take your game, whatever your game is, to that next level. Listen, the first one's got to breathe. I mean, I've, like I said, I've already read it multiple times. I'll read it again while I wait for this one. But give me a sense. Like, when does this one drop? When can I see the second book? <laughs> it'll, it'll probably drop sometime next year. Um, I have a kid's book coming out also. So the kids' book is um, it's a can't hurt me for kids basically, um, because why everything I put out is my raw, real way of looking at life, and my life wasn't easy, so I'm not gonna write a book like with, with no cuss words in it, because life wasn't that simple for me. So for me to paint a picture of how I felt, you're gonna see and hear some fucks and whatever. But the kids' book um, it goes way back into the dungeon of stories that I've never told anybody. And um, so that's coming out really soon, probably next six to seven months, eight months probably. Um, but then my big book that I'm really looking forward to, that may be the end of next year when that comes out. So that's that. Be sure to keep me in mind. You know that. Listen, it's pretty self-evident, David, but for people who don't have Can't Hurt Me, Master Your Mind and Defy the Odds, by now everybody should know where to find a book. But if they don't and they're hearing this and they're compelled, what's the best way to get the book? You know what? I self-published, so the only way to get the book pretty much is through Amazon. Um, so go on Amazon, and um, they, they have it there. And also another, the, the audio book, we actually passed Michelle Obama, a, you know, a few weeks ago as far as, as far as like, you know, our, our, is our sales or what? Weekly sales. So we passed Michelle Obama on the audio book, which is a huge thing. I mean, she got a $65 million, you know, advance. I actually paid for my book. So, um, but yeah, so yeah, the audio book's amazing. It's, it's, uh, it's never been done this way. It's like an audio book, podcast, radio show, all in one. It has me reading some. This guy named Adam reading some. I'm, I'm interjecting through it all, giving you stories that I don't even put in the book. So it's just quite unique, authentic to who I am as a person. So yeah, um, Amazon and Audible are the two places you can get the book and the audio book. 
Well, there's no doubt. I've been looking, I've been thinking really hard how to get to or who to put on our 100th episode of the podcast. I'm proud of that, David. And I had to be really certain about who it was going to be. I knew you were the guy. It was just a matter of finding out whether or not your availability was going to match up with that. So can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on. Great to get caught up with you. The book is amazing. We'll look for the kids' book. We'll look for the big book next year. And my man, what can I say? You're the best. Thank you so much. Hey, Jim. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate what you do, man. Stay hard, brother. Hey, we all love to refresh our snack drawers, right? But when is the last time you refreshed your sock drawer? If you can't remember, it's probably time for an upgrade. Bombas socks are made with comfort innovations like arch support, a seamless toe, and a cushioned footbed. All socks speak for super comfortable. And they come in hundreds of colors and styles, making them perfect for men, women, and kids. I absolutely love my Bombas socks. I love the way they feel. I love the way they look. And I love the mission of the company. Bombas' new line of merino wool socks are made from soft, warm, and naturally moisture-wicking merino wool designed with all of Bombas' classic comfort features. From keeping cool and dry on your morning run to staying comfortable in your office's freezing air conditioning, Bombas' socks are ready to work as hard as you do. And for every pair of socks you buy, Bombas will donate a pair to somebody in need. This is what I love about their company. This is what I love about their work in the community. Bombas are what feet daydream about. Buy your Bombas at bombas.com slash roam today and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash roam and get 20% off. Bombas.com slash roam. Damn. I mean, what else needs to be said? Tell me you've ever come across somebody like Goggins, and I will call you a liar. I would love your feedback on the episode you just heard, so make sure you hit me and tag David Goggins in that as well. There it is, Ep 100. You cannot ask for anything more than that, but I'm going to keep on giving nonetheless because that is a milestone, not a finish line. So make sure you have subscribed for the next 100 episodes because I'm going to keep pumping this content out every single Wednesday. With that said, I will see you right back here next week. Until then, here are your voicemails. First new message. Hey, Jim, jump in, drop this back. Put some respect on the 49ers. This is Cabray from the Bay. 5-0, big dog. And we lose to the Deskins, oh my God, I'm back to trapping again. And you know what that means? Selling drugs. Message deleted. Next message. Rome. That's all I got. Message deleted. Next message. I love you. I love you, Jim. I just want to say that. You're straight fire to me. I love you. Message deleted. Next message. Happy belated birthday, Jim, to you and President Skittles there behind the glass. And this is Jim from Killeen, Texas. I want to thank you for Bombay Sapphire. I used to think Jim tasted like pine salt, but some of that cool blue, pick some up, tried it out. Awesome. Message saved. Next message. Romy, it's JJ from KC. So your people are getting late and uh, not coming to work on time. You need to change the ringtones to maybe something like this. Move, motherfucker, move, motherfucker, move, move, motherfucker, move, motherfucker, move, move, motherfucker, move, motherfucker, move, move. Message deleted. Next message. Romy, 
John up near Boise. Hey, I don't want to be on the voicemail for the uh, podcast, but I do want to continue to make it a tradition to call you on your birthday and my birthday. And now knowing that it's Ike's birthday, are you kidding me? Unfucking real. Best day of my life. You're my boy. Congratulations on the Hall of Fame. So deserved. You're a badass, Jimmy. Seriously, I love you, man. <laughs> See ya. Message saved. Next message. Romy, Justin from Melbourne, man. Congratulations on your 100th podcast. Dude, I've been listening since pod one. Haven't missed one, and I've been cranking it out, calling on the weekly basis. I have not missed a voicemail. Now, granted, you're not always reading my voicemails or playing it, but that's part of the grind, man. Looking forward to many Many future pods. Message saved. You have no more messages.